Hi, I'm Carol Pelletier-Radford, and you're listening to the Teaching with Light podcast. On this podcast, I'll share encouraging lessons I've learned through a long career in education, and I'll interview other teachers and leaders so they can share their wisdom with all of us. This series of the podcast is titled, Listen to Inspiring Leaders. Each of the 10 episodes introduces you to a former classroom teacher who is now leading in a new way to support the education community. As I planned this podcast series, I reached out to the leaders who have most inspired me. After scheduling all 10 interviews, I realized that all 10 of these leaders were women. And so this unplanned program development reminds us that there are many inspiring women leaders who are influencing public policy and education practices. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. Welcome to Episode 6 of the Inspiring Women Leaders series. Our podcast title for today is, It Is What It Is. Now, we know schools have their own cultures and unspoken rules. We live this, and we might try to change things, and when we get pushed back when change doesn't happen, we often judge, blame, and point fingers at those who are making our jobs hard. We like to see things our way. Of course, we are, we're right. At least I think I'm right. <laughs> and sometimes we lose hope and just give up trying when conditions are just too disruptive. So it is what it is doesn't mean we give up and never try to influence change. To me, it means we choose where we want to put our energy. We learn what to let go of and we learn how to move forward. When we see things only one way and take the uh, perspective of being right, we limit our options of solving problems. And how can we be part of the solution if we don't let anyone else's opinions in? Accepting what we can't change doesn't mean we quit. It means we accept that some things are just out of our control. I'm here today with Jennifer Abrams, and Jennifer and I met at a professional mentoring conference in California many years ago when I attended one of her workshop sessions titled, Having Hard Conversations. After that meeting, she was so good, we invited her to our university where I was leading a teacher education program. And she inspired the school leaders to find ways to communicate to solve problems together. Jennifer's protocols helped all of us unpack our issues so we could teach and lead more effectively. We later reconnected at a Women in Leadership conference in New Orleans, and that is where I invited her to be one of my extraordinary coaches for a teacher who was in my Mentoring in Action Leadership Academy. Jennifer's authentic voice inspires me to tell the truth and to reach in to see how I really want to contribute. So how do we not only survive but thrive in our school cultures, 
knowing we can't change everything around us that might be causing us so much stress? Well, that is what we'll find out today as we listen to Jennifer's journey and how she has created some very practical ways for us to speak with our authentic voices. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you so much, Carol. Nice to be here. I am so glad you could you could fit us in because I know you're so busy doing mm-hmm. workshops and conferences remotely all over the world. So thank you for for making this a priority in your My schedule. Pleasure, delighted. So because I uh, this podcast series is promoting and highlighting uh, inspiring women leaders, uh, I wanted to also have women leaders who were former teachers. And I know you were a former teacher. Mm -hmm. Can you just take a moment to give us some context and share a bit about your teaching journey, why you chose to teach, where you Mm -hmm. taught? Give us a little background before we dive into your practical ideas that everybody wants to hear about. Sure. Um, uh, My feet are uh, on the land here in Palo Alto, California, here in the U.S. And I've been here now for over 30 years. And I spent my teaching career at a school called Henry M. Gunn High School in Palo Alto Unified School District here in California. And I knew that I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to, wanted to help I wanted to help kids, and that seemed to me between teaching English, which is what I did for a decade at a high school, um, and working with youth, that just seemed to be the right thing. And I literally came out here, I want to say like a month after I finished my undergraduate on the East Coast at Tufts, and I came out to Stanford and started with summer school and never really left. And I, um, yeah, I spent my time teaching Oh, uh, AP and women writers and ninth grade and 10th and 11th and 12th and just had a really good time and then moved into uh, working with new teachers just like you do uh, and um, did that in like my 10th year as a professional developer and then stayed for another 16 really working with the 22-year-olds instead of the 18-year-olds, right? And um, and ended up doing that until I left in about 2011. Wow. So it sounds like you loved it and you actually made a transition from the high school classroom to that commitment to the novice teachers mm-hmm. and helping them be successful, which is very dear to my heart. So then, so what happened to you that you made that you decided to leave completely Mm -hmm. and start your own business was that Mm -hmm. your next transition yeah yeah I ended up about three or four years into working full-time as a new teacher coach and professional developer and I did elements of effective instruction and equity equals excellence trainings and trainings uh, to support English learners and working with secondary teachers. I mean, it's just, it was just, they gave me a really wonderful sort of grounding, right. And, and just how to, to, to facilitate and, and, and work and be a professional uh, learning facilitator. And one of the things that they allowed me to do, and, and I'm so grateful to, to Palo Alto Unified for, is that they said, you know, why don't you also talk to instructional supervisors, people who are evaluating and, and talk to the administrators, and we had department heads and all this stuff. And 
coaches had received a bunch of training on how to coach and how to talk to new teachers. And that was something that I was trying to bring into the administration and people who were evaluating. And what I realized was that they had no idea how to, when they saw something that they needed to sort of supervise toward and, and say the benchmark is up here and we've got a, we've got a gap there and you've got to kind of step up, they didn't know how to have the hard conversation. So I ended up sort of studying it in-house because I didn't know how to do it exactly. And ultimately in 2009, while I was still in uh, Palo Alto Unified, um, the book came out and that sort of sent me into, wow, maybe I could do this for other school districts and maybe I could start consulting. So I went down in percentage in my school district, continued to do my work, but did it for fewer days a week. And then ultimately in 2011, I just said, I want to write another book. And I think I can make a, a shift. And it was terrifying um, because I needed health insurance and I needed, you know, and ultimately I went on leave and um, Obamacare, <laughs> the ACA, which we're so much uh, thinking about right now in this presidential election, it came to be in 2013. And I was able to go on on my own. And I just started, I had already published two books and I started um, consulting and, and I, I really wanted to see what the world was like. I had been deeply ensconced in a classroom uh, for almost a decade. I then was just in one district and I wanted to see if I could support other people. And it, it turned out that it worked. And now I'm writing my fifth book, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. I love that. And I want to hear more. So I want to uh, delve into a, uh, something that you just said that I think is an important insight or uh, highlight. When you, when the hard conversations, there are coaches, there are evaluators, administrators, oh, yeah. and then there are mentors. And you and I have worked in the mentoring world and mm-hmm. we, um, tend to say mentors are not evaluators. Correct. Now that doesn't mean they can't have hard conversations. Correct. Mentors <laughs> to, um, struggle with that and they, they're happy to not be the evaluators. But as you say, when we're helping and coaching mentors and training mentors, which is kind of all my work on mentoring in action, mm-hmm. is giving them a, a framework for having a conversation. We, we're guiding them towards effective teaching strategies. Right. It's not just orientation, where's the copy machine? Yes. And it has changed over time. So when you talk about when you were at that very pivotal place, when you were noticing administrators... Mm-hmm unable to have the hard conversation yeah. or was it the mentors or was it both? It was both. Okay. Because, because mentors still hold uh, a great deal of expertise in effective practices, in professionalism, in assessment. And the question is, how do we find our voice around what matters Uh, If we see things that are educationally unsound or incorrect or not meeting what the district or the province or the board or the school uh, says is, is effective teaching, if it's educationally unsound or if it's physically unsafe or if it's emotionally damaging to other adults or kids, the question wasn't to me 
should I say something? The question was, how do I say something? Because I really felt like we were inducting people into a profession where we had a level of expectation of what it's supposed to look like and sound like. And I was there to support people. And there was a wide swath of tools that a coach could use And we had only been taught, ask a question, ask a question, ask a question. And I felt like I couldn't do that without sounding inauthentic. Mm -hmm. And they don't know what they don't know. As you know, we've both worked with beginning novice teachers and you could ask a question and they would just look at you with deer in the headlights like, I am not sure because I don't know what I don't know. So this this was I, so. This is the spark of that very. What was having hard conversations? Your first book or your second yes, book? That it was, was your first book. Hard conversations. Two thousand nine was my first book. I had okay. been doing trainings and done stuff, but it was still in. I was still in house, and I was, you know. And then people were like, "Ooh, this aligns with people who are administrators who have." background in uh, how to find their voice around what matters in terms of evaluation. They've been given the task, but I'm not so sure that many uh, credential programs or administrative credential programs really do work around that topic either. So it was how does that, what what are the responsibilities and what is their skill set that they need to build? Right. And what's right. kind of fascinating, and I'm going to tell you this, I was just on with the a school, I'll just tell, I'll just say it was a school, a school in Asia. I've done it with people in Europe. I've done it with people all over the world. The parents, I'm doing remote learning parent workshops with the PTAs, with the uh, parent ambassadors on how to have humane and growth producing conversations with the teacher, how to have conversations so that a school can listen to you. And so I just did this hard conversation workshop with families. I mean, with parents. I mean, it's so it gets back to that beginning intro that I did about us not blaming what I like about your work is that the knee jerk for me is because I think I'm always right Right. with my husband with everybody um, is to step back and you're we'll talk a little bit about the practical strategies but to so your chain really it's that mindset of entering into something to have a hard conversation but not blaming the person that you're asking the question of and I think with administrators uh uh, novice teachers, mentors, and now you're adding parents. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's the uh, culture of getting at effective student performance. Is all of the conversations lead to that ultimately. Right. So thank you for diverting a bit on that because I think we need to drill down on what. What's missing is the question that I usually ask myself when I write a book or I write a paper or blog. You want to fill a gap. So what I'm hearing and why I went to your workshop session many years ago and we brought you out to Mm -hmm. uh, the East Coast is Mm -hmm. this was missing in the training. It was the protocol wasn't there. There's a pre-conference, there's an observation and a post-conference, but the language for getting to the hard stuff (laughs) makes people uncomfortable. So, so tell us, can can you give us some, everybody wants to hear some 
a couple of practical things from the first book sure. that you that you can share yeah. with us. So um, the first thing is, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> and All right. Right. Can you say it in a humane way? And can you localize it? Give you an example. You just are like, you're a coach, a mentor, you walk into the classroom, you're an evaluator, you walk into the classroom, and you're like, whoa, there's a lot to do here. There's a lot of, of things that we could focus on. I've had administrators go, I don't even know where to begin. They're an ineffective person. I just want to tell them they're ineffective in their teaching. And I said, that's a little a harsh, it's not humane, and it's not focused. So let me give you, you know, is it about their instruction? Is it about their assessments? Is it about their management? Is it about, oh, no, 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 the management's fine. The instruction's okay, but they just didn't do any formative assessment. Oh, okay, well, that's different. That's way different than you're ineffective. So focus and be clean about what you want to talk about. And then even if you don't feel that it is your role or your purview or something, if the person says to you, what do you think I should do differently? I think you should have some answers, some suggestions, some possibilities. And I have a lot of people who are like, if I'm going to talk to my colleague, I just don't feel it's my, it's my responsibility to tell them what they should do. And I'm like, but they're going to ask you because you brought it up. And so I always say, be humane and be growth producing. Love it. So, and give specifics because they may not yeah. know. So, so we don't have to keep good teaching a secret. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? But exactly. I think what happens around evaluation, and that's why I'm bringing that up, evaluation versus mentoring, mm-hmm. uh, a mentor may be more apt to do that, whereas an evaluator doesn't want to give the answer to the test. They want to see if you can figure it out yourself. But what I'm hearing you say is let's tell them, let's focus on one thing and say, here are three things that you could try next right. time, which is more Ex- formative exactly. assessment. So I love that. So what's so the nutshell of having hard conversations, your first book, and we'll talk about your other work too. Mm-hmm. What would you say it is? What's the message in the hard having hard conversations? Why should people want to go out and get that because, book? Because because in education, in a variety of roles that we've got, we have credentials in how to teach students, our subjects or our grade levels, or we have. Uh, qualifications in how to budget or have a vision for the school or whatever, or we send our kids off as a family, whatever. We don't have credentials in how to talk effectively to each other. And it compounds when we have difficult topics that we want to bring up. And in those challenging moments, this book provides you strategies and resources and planning and scripting stuff so that you can take responsibility for what you really should be taking responsibility for, which is really where I go in my work and have those conversations. Cause I think that's the right thing we need to do for right. all of our students. Instead of pushing it under the, Correct. because we don't want 
to feel uncomfortable. And, that's right. And I, I think that's what I liked most about your work and your book and your workshop and the times that I've heard you speak. It's It takes courage to do that. So yes. it's, it's acknowledging within ourselves that we're not bad or wrong, that we struggle. It's human nature that nobody wants to do Absolutely. this. Absolutely. And that, yeah, it's and you just covered it. So this just turned out to be your role, the background as a teacher, the coaching work that you did for 16 years in the PD. Mm -hmm. This was a natural progression for you Mm -hmm. to bring your work to a wider audience. So how does your work, um, what does it is what it is mean to you? And how does that little phrase um, relate to you in your work? So... In, co- in this COVID pandemic, right, you know, all of a sudden I, I was traveling all over and I, I came back from Brazil and I was literally flown in from Brazil on the 13th of March and I haven't left since. Right. <laughs> and, and it is what it is. That's absolutely, in order for us to be safe, for us to be healthy, I sort of look at it as this is... This is a reality that we need to simply look at with honesty and then decide what is our next best right action. But most people don't want to look at it as is. It's it's so Mm -hmm. depressing to look at it. And Mm -hmm. so um, I, I look at it as, you know what, that's right that person has passed away. This is where we're going to be. And, not but, and now what? Now, I know that people use it is what it is when they, and they have a different tone to it than I'm bringing up. You know, it is what it is. You know, um, they're dismissive or they're uncaring or, you know, they shrug it off. You know, that isn't my sense of what that means. What I think is, um, how do you, how do you stay in it? How do you manage your emotions in it? How are you more adult in it? And then how do you grow from it? It is what it is, is simply the state of play. And now how do you want to respond to that? I love that. And I think your work speaks to that. Now, I also love your newsletter, um, the blog that you write with your voice. So tell us how you, I don't think you always had this title for your newsletter. It's what? Voice lessons. Voice lessons. Yes, yes. So talk a little bit about your voice and how you write your messages. I think they come out quarterly or bi-monthly? Once a month. Once a month, monthly. Okay. I've been doing it for almost nine years and I, I was an English teacher and I, I sort of realized that as an English teacher was about voice and then I was a coach. And then I realized I was always helping people find their voice around what matters, whatever role. And so it was all about voice. And then I started recognizing that it wasn't just about your uh, external voice, your outside voice, your interpersonal voice which is where I think I started, you know, skills to talk to a supervisor, skills to, um, to talk to your colleague. Um, and I realized there was a lot about the inner voice <laughs> and yes. about self-reflection and about perspective taking and about 
uh, resilience and about self-talk. And so it's still voice lessons, but depending on whether somebody has sent me a query, uh, sort of an Ask Jennifer thing, or I've experienced something, I just end up aligning my work with that. And so next month, uh, for example, is going to be um, just throwing it out there, which is what people do in their emails that they want to kind of dismiss their responsibility for how they say something. Mm-hmm. And they're just putting it out there. And I still believe that you should take responsibility for how you're saying something. So that's the voice lesson that I'm going to do for uh, November. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. How can people sign up for your newsletter oh, and receive? You can- you could go to www.jenniferabrams.com and right at the bottom of the homepage, it says subscribe. And I'd love to have, uh, I'd love to have your listeners subscribe. Oh, I would love connect. to have them join. So tell me, you're working on a fifth book. Can you just say the titles of your second, third, and fourth sure. book? Just sure. So, we can so having hard conversations, then the multi-generational workplace, communicate, collaborate, and create community because I was working with new teachers. Okay. Then I did hard conversations unpacked, the who's, the when's, and the what ifs, because it was an extension of the first book. Then I got into more working with more administrators and people in charge of initiatives. So I wrote Swimming in the Deep End, uh, Four Foundational Skills for Leading Successful School Initiatives, which I have been doing a lot of uh, webinar work on because if we're not swimming in the deep end right now, I don't <laughs> we know definitely where we are. are. I, um, I wrote that book. Who knew, right? You know, Right, exactly. And, um, and this next book is tentatively titled, I think I'll do it, Growing Up in the Workplace, Being on Your Learning Edge. Ooh, I like it. So that's what you're working on now. We can, we have lots to look forward to. Yeah, I'm excited. So, so what advice do you have um, for for teachers who might be discouraged right now and they're hearing your inspiration? They're going to sign up for your newsletter, but what what words of wisdom and inspiration do you have for our listeners around this content text of it is what it is? but or and i i want them to know that they need to take care of themselves one of the four foundational skills for leading successful initiatives is taking care of yourself um so self-care is there um and and so this is like i like to support and challenge right so take care of yourself but then you still have the edges of your job description Uh, You have to live out to the edges. And I believe that even though you're tired and discouraged, a friend of mine, a person that I was working with a long, long time ago, a mentor, looked at me when I was really pushing myself. And it wasn't that she didn't honor that and support it and hug me because I was really working so hard, but she looked at me and she said, you haven't even used nine tenths of what you're capable of. You've, you've got more and you'll be fine and you can do it. And I just remember thinking, she didn't discount what I'd done. She didn't discount that I was tired. She just let me know that I had what it takes to keep going. 
And I've never, once in a while, you know, during the deaths of my parents or during really troubling moments, I'll say, okay, there went one tenth <laughs> of my of my energy or whatever. But then it would be like, but you still got what it takes. Do you know what I mean? Like you still have more there. And I think that we get sucked into um, to to systems where we just feel so so stuck and so you know like it's everything is on something's on we can feel a sense of possibility even within the times that we're in and so i just i wish people more air and more and honoring that they've got a lot more that they can give and if they don't know that they can write me and i'll talk to them about it i love that thank you more air yes because we do limit we have these limiting thoughts and and uh i'm not sure i wanted to go back to the old normal in education i think we've learned so many new things in this and and i feel Uh, the creativity that is coming out of people is that other nine tenths that is emerging from teachers and school leaders and administrators because we are in a place of it is what it is and let's move forward Mm -hmm. with the is that we have. So thank you. So thank you, Jenna, for sharing your, for sharing your voice, your wisdom and your very sound advice. Mm -hmm. I love your common sense approach because it adds a touch of lightness to this uh, Mm. conversation because as teachers, we do take things very seriously all the time. I like to end the podcast with an affirmation. Now, the affirmation for this episode that I originally had planned is, I I accept the things I cannot change, but I've kind of modified it a little. And another way to say it might be, I accept the things that are out of my control. So some of the things we just cannot reach, but there are so many. There's Mm -hmm. nine tenths that we can reach. You bet. Instead of focusing on the one we can't, (laughs) let's look at what is within our control. So I thank you all of the listeners for being with us today. I hope uh, our conversation has inspired you to think about how you can become part of the solution and let your inner voice guide you and have your actions come from integrity and the intention to make a positive difference. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you. And thank you all for joining us today. Thank you for listening to the Teaching with Light podcast. For more wisdom and inspiration, you can purchase the Teaching with Light book at corwin.com forward slash teaching with light. That's corwin.com forward slash teaching with light.